0: Hello and welcome back to the Let's FaceTime podcast. If you're a regular, you know that last week we left off on a cliffhanger for part two of our interview with the incredible Anna Broski. This week, we are back with that part two where we discuss what we're doing now, what it's like being a recent college graduate, and whether or not we would do anything differently. If you missed the first episode, I highly, highly recommend going back and listening to that one first. But if you don't want to, no big deal. You can start here. Diving into the episode. Well, we were going to say before we started this episode, we said we were going to talk about kind of how we each decided to do the thing that we are doing now after college, because I guess we all three of us took very different paths because I am now working. Kylie is getting her PhD and Anne is getting her master's so basically like if you're just gonna choose the like three most general pathways like we really not nailed them down so I don't know Kylie do you kind of want to start and say like why you decided to get your PhD instead of like any other potential option so I think the reason I chose my pH to do my PhD is I really didn't want to go into industry I don't know the very like strict nine to five just didn't seem appealing and i did a bioengineering undergrad and really um to advance anywhere in like say if i wanted to go to industry after i graduate um we sort of need a phd to climb any sort of ladder um in the biotech world and so it felt like the good a good option for me to do as well as like I've, i still wanted to go to school like i was still wanting to learn to take classes and even though right now i'm leaning against industry it's still going to be helpful um, to have if i choose to go that route and so right now i'm currently thinking of staying in academia and i really want to teach um my dream job at the moment is to be like working at a university developing curriculum for like bioengineering or um as well as teaching like maybe a lab class or something like that or an immunology class I love immunology so yeah I'm just gonna be a student forever do you have to become like a powerful person to set curriculum or can you do that like right out of PhD kind of in theory if there's like a job um I think you need some sort of I don't think it's something you could do right after your PhD. Like, I don't think they would hire you as a curriculum developer. I think you'd have to be in the department and then potentially get promoted to that sort of position. I think it sort of depends. Or I know there was, they send out job postings, you know, to like email um, chains. And so they posted one, or we got one last year about this university up in Canada who was just starting their, like, bioengineering or biomed department. And so they were looking to hire a curriculum developer. And so they probably wanted someone from another university who, like, has worked on classes or curriculum. And so that would be sort of that position. But it sounded kind of cool. But, yeah. So that's the hard... If you're thinking, like, very academic, um, it's also a commitment. Like, a PhD takes four to six years. So it's it's a commitment for sure but you can always drop out with just get your master's yeah it's definitely possible like I feel like a lot of people who get like a year or two in and realize it's not for them they just graduate with their master's and then it wasn't like wasted time because they still get a degree out of it and stuff yeah they get a degree and then they can find something that they want to do um, more so yeah definitely options do we want to then do we want to go like progressive order or go the opposite end of the spectrum i.e should no we can progressive order because anna you decided to get your master's right out of school like you never like considered getting your p well maybe you did consider getting your phd but like that was not your goal when you started your MN. so like why did you decide to go like more school but not like full time? <laughs>
1: So, okay, there's a couple different ways to take that. So I I did consider getting a PhD for a brief time in, like, education, um, but that would have really been the only thing I would have pursued a PhD in. I feel like software engineering, like, a PhD in that is, like, sounds, like, miserable to me, so that was not... Um, something I was interested in pursuing, um, but I am, like, highly interested in education and, like, that sort of realm, but typically for, like, high school or, like, middle school and, like, more, like, the system than teaching itself, I think, at this point, but, um, so when, at the time that I was deciding to pursue my MENG, I, so I ended up doing undergrad in seven semesters. I took a semester off during COVID and so my senior year I had five classes in the fall and I ended up taking seven classes in the spring so it was like very heavily overloaded for me to just graduate on time and I did this for like financial reasons i didn't really want to like pay for another semester where like with graduate school you can get funding so that's like very helpful but because of this overload like job hunting was just not going to happen and it's also with my i got a puppy in the fall of my senior year or sorry no no that's i'm getting mixed up i did not do that sorry i got a puppy the fall of my first year of grad school um yeah it was job hunting was just not going to happen um because of like my overload of classes and basketball um and so i i also did not feel ready to like be a software engineer in the workforce and i was like i want some like extra time
0: there yeah because your first internship was not really computer science right no my first internship was general engineering and i did that for three years
1: like a little fool but I don't know I'm still working at that company and I'm very grateful I like have those connections so um it I think it led to where it was supposed to lead to Mm -hmm. um I also in the at the end of my junior year had a bit of a crisis where I was like I don't even know if I want to do software engineering and like really full scent doing education so I ended up getting my teaching certificate during my senior year of undergrad
0: oh I forgot about
1: that yeah, so I was, like, teaching in a classroom full-time over our J-term and then part-time um, in the fall and the spring. Um, so I was a busy bee, and I didn't want to job hunt, and I felt underprepared to be a software engineer, and also I decided that I, I didn't really think, like, teaching was worth the money to me, especially because of the cost of my degree, so... um I think a lot of my senior year was, like, rediscovering, like, my love for code and, like, wanting to pursue that more and also, like, just reality checking a little bit there. So then, like, starting my MENG, I, all my research is focused on, like, early childhood development and, um, specifically my project is focusing on, like, autistic individuals and their interpretation of, like, meaning, um, in relation, or, like, in Comparison to that of like neurotypical individuals, so really starting that hot and heavy this semester um, because I got behind because I had a concussion. Hot in. and heavy,
0: yeah. <laughs> like Kylie's engagement photos will be. Yeah, exactly. So hot and heavy. Wait, have you, how have you felt about the research? Because I feel like that topic is like so cool. Yeah.
1: So the topic I did the neurotypical side of it during undergrad. That was like my whole senior year was yeah. my project. So I really am. I really like the topic. I think it's super cool. Um, I started my master's program thinking I was going to go a different direction just because the nature of my program, I was thinking my research would have to be more like combined. So I was trying to focus on, um, like more about like mathematical and like computational thinking in like children, because that's more like directly related to computer science. But I learned through my application process that Because my degree is under the Brain and Cognitive Sciences Department, they do not give a shit if you incorporate any, like, computer science aspects at all. And so I was like, oh, this is good because I do like this original project. And so I, like, asked to be re-involved on the project. My application, or my proposal was, like, super delayed. Like, I was supposed to be at the end of my fall semester and it ended up being at the end of my spring semester. So I feel like my research is going to be, like, a little bit less heavy than i thought it was going to be like we're going to be able to do like one parent survey and that's probably all i'll get to analyze but i don't know i think the topic's really cool in general i think it's cool to think about like those sorts of things um specifically my project like relates to like loopholes and
0: how um intentional or unintentional those interpretations like could be so i was reading this book recently like divergent mind which i don't know i would not necessarily really recommend <laughs> But it was like about autistic and like hypersensitive like women especially and I feel like it was really interesting just like the way different people's brains work even if there was a flawed thesis there. But I feel like that topic in general just very interesting and like it helped me understand a lot of like the ways my mind works even though like I don't actually think like I have HSP or like autism in particular.
1: What was their flawed thesis?
0: It was very like Having autism is not bad because, like, look at all these people who have autism and are successful. And I was like, Oh. Okay, well, like, having autism is not bad regardless of whether, like, You're you successful are successful. Yeah. I don't know.
1: <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I do. It's been really, like, fun to think about. So we've been reading a bunch of papers on how to, like, specifically talk about autism like in like scientific writing because there is like an older generation of like brain and cognitive folks who like write from like a deficit perspective where like the autistic community and like woke bcs people are like oh like it's probably not a good thing to like talk about it from a deficit perspective you should be talking about it as like a, a like positive difference yeah so it's been it's been cool to like explore that and like see those sorts of things like coming to light in mm-hmm. the like, scientific community.
0: Well that's the whole like autism speaks org is like really problematic. Right? Like a lot of autistic people like hate autism speaks because of the way it's like, oh, your child, like we can help you fix your child. I didn't know that autism speaks specifically was like a let's fix you mentality. There's a lot of people who I follow, and, like, granted, like, the people I follow are probably, like, severely on one side of this issue, but there's a lot of people I follow who are, like, Autism Speaks is, like, literally a hate org with oh. the way they, like, teach people to, like, think about us as people, flash yeah. not really as people. It was super interesting. I was reading when this class, oh, I can't remember, I think it was, like, Engineering Society or... Uh, elective I took my senior year at MIT um we had to read an article about it was targeted about genetic engineering but it really shifted or they had a big they had a few interviews with some page or people who were autistic or had autism and they like interviewed them like oh if you could they asked like the parents and then the person themselves like if you could be genetically altered to not have this like would you or well and a lot of the times the patients are like no like I am who I am because of this or Mm -hmm. you know it's was like an interest it was an interesting article we had to read and discuss in class and I think it's always interesting to consider like oh it's not a deficit or you know it's a certain thing that impacts you in different ways I don't know I thought it was a a cool article I like that class So are you guys both glad with the schooling routes you chose? I assume you both are. I feel like it's working out well for both of you. I think after like getting industry
1: experience and actually like having a software position this summer, I think I was more ready for it than I maybe thought. Oh, another huge reason I like chose to continue school is basketball, like continuing to play basketball. I forgot to say that. I also don't think my season played out the way i would have wanted it to like being concussed um so that was like but like that's something you can't really like yeah you can't really like see or predict those things in advance um but i have friends that i would not have had otherwise if i hadn't played so that was good but yeah i think like i was more ready for the workforce than i maybe would have thought i think i'm glad i stayed because i have learned somewhat some things Um, I got to take, like, a software class that I had wanted to take in undergrad that I just didn't have the time for, so that was good. Um, I think it was nice to, like, be in school and just, like, be able to chill a little bit, especially with my, I got a puppy this past fall, um, so, like, getting, having the time to, like, get accustomed to a puppy was good. And then also, like, being in Massachusetts with Connor, like, I don't know where, like, job would have taken me, so... I think for those reasons I'm glad I'm here, but who knows?
0: Yeah, I think I I definitely am happy with my decision of going like the PhD route. I think I don't know I like the idea that the, the this my schedule is really flexible and that someday like I can come in at different times but it's also a little all that like Sometimes I do have to do work late at night or on weekends or, but I get to have sort of this like wide variety of different things I can do. And I feel like I'm constantly kept on my toes, whether that's like through schoolwork, through research or things I do um, outside of my grad program. So I don't know, I'm really happy with my choice, even though sometimes I think like, what would it be like if I had a nine to five and then could like shut off and be done? Cause a lot of times I get consumed in my work or I'll just think about my project often even like after like hours of work per se and so sometimes I think it it would be kind of nice to have to not think about it or just to shut it off but I don't know I so far I'm liking it but
1: I think I'm really trying to like even while I'm in school like have more of like a nine to five like sort of boundary for myself where I like don't do work past a certain time and I kind of did that last year too i tried not to do any work on the weekends and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't i do feel like kylie um that working remotely i have way more like constant stress about work than i did when i was going into the office like i feel like working remotely like i personally like i'm not able to shut it off or like think about work way more than i did when i was
0: in person yeah oh really well, I also like that I don't work 9 to 5 and that, like, I can work, like, 8 to 3 and then I work out and eat dinner. And then, and then I'll, like, go back on at night and, like, do classwork or do readings or something like that. So, like, I like that I can do that pretty easily and it's not a big deal. And I know people who work remotely also have that flexibility, too, if you work in, like, an industry position. But I don't know. I'm one year in and it's – and I'm still enjoying it to a certain degree, so – this woman that was mentoring me kind of at work. So it was just like a meeting cause she was like higher up. So I was talking to her and she got her PhD in computer science actually, before she started working for my company. And one thing she said was that she feels like because she did it right out of undergrad, she did not have a nine to five attitude and it kind of overtook her whole life. And then she was thinking about it and doing the work all the time. And she was like people who did industry and then went to get their PhD or maybe even just people who are slightly like better time management did have a nine to five about it because like realistically like you can get your work done in a time box region. Like whatever that yeah. time box is for you, like you could time box it and do it. Yeah. And she's like, I feel like that would have made my life significantly better in PhD. Yeah. Like there's a lot of people who do that. I do think like the more senior grad students that I know do really embody a nine to five and there is still like a very much nine to five-esque um and like especially because I work in a lab that has a lot of postdocs so they're like more like professional scientists in a way so they do do that um it's just I don't know I I, kind of like the flexibility in a way um and yeah but it you're right that it's harder to give yourself boundaries um when you do do that. Yeah, so I got a job right out of school. Well, I took, like, eight months off just for fun, but then I started my job, and I did not have any desire to go back to school. I feel like school and, like, MIT really killed my love of learning and my love of, like, life kind of I guess to a big extent like even my hobbies that were not directly related to school I really like did not have a lot of interest in doing them because I was just so physically drained from school all the time and from like the demand of needing to like attend classes and get homework done on very specific deadlines and all of these things that like were really not the way my brain worked whatsoever even if it was not necessarily an issue with handling like the material itself so I got a job I work in big tech and big tech i felt a little bit morally like gray about going to work at a big tech company but like i'm getting paid well and like i feel like i can be doing good from within maybe i don't know maybe i'm just making excuses there but regardless i work probably like a 7:30 to 4 30 schedule now and like i'll take breaks during the day to like eat food or like work on my side projects or something depending on how I'm doing and I'm really enjoying it. I just went remote a few months ago officially. So my first like year and a half, I was a little more than a year and a half. I was in person and now for the past few months I've been a remote employee and I love working remote. I love the flexibility. I liked going into the office too, but like in general, my work was really flexible. Like even when I went to the office, I would leave at 2 p.m. and like do the rest of the day from home. So I enjoy the flexibility. I enjoy the paycheck. I enjoy doing work that doesn't actually have any hard deadlines because I'm setting my own deadlines, which means that like I can get some things done really fast and then I know what needs to come next, and then, like, if I do one thing really fast and another thing really slow, it all adds up to like doing things at a normal rate. Whereas in school, like, if you did one assignment in one day, you wouldn't get the next assignment for another week. And then, like, if that particular assignment, like, you weren't having it that week and it took, like, you then you just wouldn't turn it in on time. On the whole, I think I work faster than the average person, but I definitely have weeks where I work like way slower because I just physically cannot and so I appreciate being able to set that myself and that's like basically why I prefer work. So do you think your position is unique in that you get to set your own schedule or do you think that's something that's more common seen in like computer science industry? Well in terms of the hours I think that's something that is like computer science industry in general I would say at least like in like big tech and stuff, in general, you're able to set your own hours. Mm -hmm. In terms of, like, me setting my own deadlines like that, I think that's just, in general, work life, because, like, you're expected to, like, come up with your own projects and, like, do your own projects, I assume. I don't know. Obviously, like, I haven't worked anywhere else, but at least for me, like, I'm, like, pretty responsible for coming up with my own projects, like, scoping them, deciding how long they're going to take, like, and then executing, and so I feel like at some point it's on you obviously if you're working in an agile team and you have sprints you're going to have more concrete deadlines and stuff like that but and to be clear I get all my work done ahead of deadline it's just like some little individual pieces <laughs> take me longer because I'm having a mental breakdown that week it's got to balance it <laughs> yeah yeah undergrad can be quite grueling It's crazy to think how much I, well I still pack my schedule, but thinking back to undergrad, how much it's just easy to pack your schedule, like everyone kind of lives that way, at least where we went to undergrad, it seems like. Well school is just way too structured for me, like the process of learning in such a structured way of like, do this on Monday, do this on Tuesday, is never ever ever gonna work for me, like that just drives me like like it just breaks my brain I can't do it I need to work when I want to work and I'll do it better that way so So. like a more drawn out like here you have two months a month do this project or do something and you can play with that time instead of like on a you know every other day or weekly basis that's a pretty tight timeline to turn things around when like things could happen or you're like I just can't do this today and I love learning again like, I started actually getting interested in things and studying things that have, like, nothing to do with what I'm doing at work. And, like, I just feel like I have a lot more joy now. So, overall, a win. So, no regrets going to industry. <laughs> Zero regrets. I, yeah, I was like, there's no way. Yeah, you seem happier than when grinding away at True. undergrad all right should we come up with a final question to ask all of our guests the same question oh my god we should but what should our question be do you guys get responses when you ask questions no no we want to
1: ask you a question oh okay i get it she meant we asked our audience you guys should make a a podcast you guys should make a podcast we should
0: oh we could I have so many Instagrams now though, I'd have to remove one from my phone. Oh my god, there's a limit? No. Yeah, there are.
1: Whoa.
0: Um, okay, what's a good final question?
1: Mmm.
0: It needs to be something like really niche. Niche? Yeah. Okay. You know, like something that's like really random and quirky. Oh, this is so random and this shouldn't be our question, but I've been dying to ask this. So earlier on while we were doing all our tech support, I was eating M&Ms. And this is just for our listeners. You guys know I was eating M&Ms. You saw and heard. And anyhow, um, when you are eating an M&M, how do you eat it? Do you just take a, like a a handful and like shove it all like in at once? Do you individually suck on an M&M? Something that I've been doing that I think is really enjoyable is you turn the M&M vertical and you like, split the M&M with your teeth like you put it between your like two front teeth um that's been something I've been doing lately I'm just curious if you have a preference for consuming an M&M Kylie um the way that you've been eating
1: M&M's is how I eat Reese's Pieces all the time but I think my my method for consuming M&M's has changed over the course of my my lifespan I definitely used to be like assorted by color eat them I like to, like, preserve the number of colors. I wasn't, like, eat one color at a time. I would, like, try to... I would eat the ones with the most first until they all had, like, the same number of colors. Um, and then I would suck on them. Now I am a
0: handful, throat-in-my-mouth type of girl. Do you think that it's representative of, like, you growing up? Or do you think that this is just... I'm curious in how you think this transition has occurred. Um,
1: maybe I'm a little less neurotic. And then I I was as a child. That's like really all I could probably say. Um, or maybe less time, more desire to consume more M and M's at once. There's a lot of things that could play into this. I think. Mm, interesting. You should ask your therapist about this.
0: About consuming M and M's.
1: Yeah, like what she thinks about how people
0: consume it. Ooh, I would love a good. Li- you should make Simone make one of those little like drawing books. And, like, therapize each type of m M&M m eater in them. I feel like she'd do a really good job. She
1: would. You should message her that. I think she'd appreciate it. What are these
0: books? <laughs> Simone, do you follow her art Instagram? No, I don't. Well, you could. I should. She makes really cute little cartoons. Oh, and then you're saying that she should make one about, like, m M&M m eaters. It's so fascinating. Like, everyone or like... Especially the colors. I remember as a kid, especially in math class, like, when you're in elementary school, I feel like when you have to do with probability, it was all, like, these different color M&Ms and you had to, like, sort them or, like, figure out which percentages, statistics. For some reason, it was always had to do. And I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. That doesn't have to be our question, but... <laughs> no, I think that was a great question. I think it'll really give us some insight into every person. Jocelyn,
1: how do you eat M&Ms? That's
0: true. You gotta answer. Okay, s- so if i can see the colors i have to do what anna did as a child and order them all by color and then eat them so they're the exact same number of each m&m and i have to pick up like once i get to an even number of each row i have to pick up the entire row and hold the whole row in my hand and then eat them from my hand so that it doesn't like fuck up the row um <laughs> however do you
1: eat them in rainbow order
0: yes okay However, I recently realized that if I don't see the colors, then I can eat them without doing that. And so now I just have to keep the ba- keep them in the bag and only take out uh. one at a time and then I chew it and then I chew it because if I see multiple of them at a time, then I have to like color order them and like be weird. Yeah. Like my my like strong like OCD tendency there coming out in this. But if I like don't see them, then it's fine. Wait, so did you do this? So, Jocelyn loved M&Ms and we somehow would have M&Ms semi-often in our dorm rooms and undergrad. Did you do this on your desk when you would eat M&Ms? Yeah, when I scooped out a handful, I would sort them. Oh, I don't think I noticed that. They would be in lines on my desk. Okay, I'm sorry. I wasn't <laughs> paying attention. I was just eating the M&Ms. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, this is exciting. Now we know how all three of us consume M&Ms in maybe slightly different scenarios and time periods of our lives. And with that, that's the podcast. Anna, do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet? Or do you not have internet?
1: <laughs> um, I, I, I do have internet. I don't really have socials at the moment that i she's free anyone she's societally free know about. you can follow my dog's instagram at stranger
0: pup thank you adorable and that's all i got all right well that's the podcast thank you guys so much for listening to let's facetime you can follow kylie on twitter at gallagher k17 or on instagram at gallagher underscore kylie you can follow me on twitter at life with joss or on instagram at jocelyn underscore Lutzy. you can also find me and all of my writing and deep thoughts
1: on Right
0: <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening please rate us five stars it does good things for the little algorithm thingy